Calling All Cars, the copyrighted program created for the Rio Grande Oil Company. Calling All Cars, Denton All Cars, Denton All Fresno County Sheriff's Cars. You're on the lookout for following described men. Number one, 35 years of age, sallow complexion, wearing a cap, a brown suit. Number two, around 25, slender bill, thin face. Wearing a light cap, blue coveralls. These men held up and robbed the first state bank of Clovis for $30,000 an hour ago. In gathering the facts for these two crime broadcasts, Executives of the Rio Grande Oil Company personally contact the police officers involved, so many of whom are using Rio Grande cracked gasoline in their daily work. In Oakland, in Berkeley, in Los Angeles, and in many other cities and counties of California and Arizona, these investigators have found why Rio Grande cracked gasoline is specified exclusively for all emergency cars. These cities and counties have made repeated tests of the many gasolines available and have yet failed to find any gasoline which can outperform Rio Grande Crest. In all features, quick starting, acceleration, speed, power, it has no superior. And yet with all these advantages, it costs no more to buy and actually costs less per mile. Official records prove these claims. And that's why more police and emergency cars use Rio Grande cracks wherever it is sold than any other gasoline. Try it in your car. Get a sample of police car performance, and you too will acknowledge that Rio Grande cracks gasoline gives you the most for your money. great pleasure to present Sheriff George Overholt of Fresno County. Sheriff Overholt. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. There's an interesting parallel to be drawn between the psychology of the lawbreaker and the psychology of his eternal enemy, the police officers. It could be summed up in one word, patience. The average criminal does not possess this golden virtue, virtue because he is motivated primarily, primarily by one by three. When we are pitting our forces against the lawbreaker who has patience, then we have a really difficult time. But in, the case, in this case, in the case we're about to hear, a typical case from our files was the patience of the police officer which destined from the beginning that the criminal should be caught. For the police officer dedicated to but one aim, the eradication of crime has his entire life if necessary to accomplish the solution of a single case. The criminal must commit further crime to satisfy his insatiable greed. Lacking the patience and foresight for the, of the forces of society, he sooner or later walks into a trap such as the patience, patience of my colleague O.J. King rolled in this evening's case. February 5th, 1924. 
two men into the First State Bank of Clovis, California. Mr. Howenton, the only employee in the bank, turns to his window. Yes, sir? There is this 20 for you. Yes, sir. How would you like it? Uh, ten and a five is in silver. Right away. All right, go on in, Bert. See that door by the window. Okay. Here we are. Ten. Take up your hand. Hold up, sir. Tie his hands behind his back, Bert. I got him covered. Right. Now, look here. Hey, hello. It's good for you. Shut up. We won't ask him to do any killing. The will of it's necessary. Ah, uh, he won't slip out of that knot. Good. Now, get back here in the boat, you. Go on. You're not going to lock me up on there, are you? Get back there, I said. All the way at the back. Okay, good. Enter the stairs, sir. Right. Want these travel checks and bonds? I want everything we can carry. Okay. Yeah, that's got it all. Okay, let's go. We're going to work you in, pal, so you won't get any harm. Ah, they'll find you sooner or later. Hey, Tom. Here comes somebody across the street. Here, Doctor, come on here. Get him over the door. When he opens it, stick his gun in his Okay. Here, Mister. What's going on here? What's it look like? A tea party? Look here, I'm the vice president of this bank. Well, that's just dandy. Now get over there by that filing cabinet and face the wall. Now look here, my man. Do you really get over it quick? Now if you're smart, you'll stay right there for five minutes. Come on, boy. Oh, and you'd uh, better unlock that vault sometime this afternoon. Your pal's in there. The excited description that Howenton and Rayburn give Sheriff William F. Jones of Fresno County and Deputy Sheriff O.J. King are incomplete and confused. All they discover in Clovis that they can help them is capturing the robbers if they have escaped in the black touring car. Then the following day, the owner of a garage in Fresno informs the sheriff that there's a suspicious car at this place. Sheriff Jones, accompanied by Deputy Sheriff King, visit the garage to listen to the attendant's story. I was nosing around this car, and I found a half-full sack of roofing nails in the back and a bullet. And I remembered reading about that bank holdup yesterday and how the guys had pulled it through roofing nails up behind them. And I thought maybe this was the car. Which one is it? That black Chandler over there, Sheriff. Let's look at it, King. You haven't touched anything in the car, have you? Oh, no, sir. I left everything just the way I found it. Good. Take down that license number, King. Yeah, sir. Three, six, five, three, four, five. Did you know this, Sheriff, that those plates are wired all and sort of bolted? Yes, who they are. Probably stolen. Here's the roofing nails in the shell. And the gas can is missing from those canteens on the running board. Yes, and it looks as though the car was recently painted black. Hmm. Pretty bad job. You can tell it was originally blue. Say, who left this car here? Well, a fellow drove it in yesterday about 1.30 in the afternoon. An hour before the bank robbery. And he said he wanted to store it for a couple of days. What was his name? He signed T.T. Jones on the register. Ever seen him before? No, sir. What did he look like? Well, he was kind of tall and slender, and he was dark complexion. Hmm. Did you know him again to him? Oh, sure. But a roundup of suspicious, tall, slender, dark men proved fruitless. The license plate had checked through Sacramento and proven to be stolen, and the motor number of the car shows it also to have been taken without the permission of the donor. Thus, the identity of the Clovis bandits remains a mystery for two weeks, and then a prying citizen, not content to mind his own business, carries a suspicious tale to the sheriff. It's been more than a week now since I've seen anybody in that house next door to the sheriff. I noticed that the back door was wide open, but the house looked deserted. 
So I finally decided to investigate. I only went over there this morning. What'd you find? Well, uh, those people who live there must have left in a hurry. Because there's dishes still in the kitchen sink and water in the bathtub. Even the meal on the table still. So they left in the middle of dinner. Well, I guess we'd better go over there and have a look. To the mystery house on Roosevelt Avenue goes Sheriff Jones, accompanied by Deputy Sheriff King and several city policemen. While King investigates the garage in back, Sheriff Jones and the officers go over the house. There's some receipts in his desk drawer, Sheriff. Hmm, let me see them. Well, rent receipt dated January 29th. Made out to Mrs. Joseph J. Ray. And gas and light receipts for the same person. Hey, Sheriff, I forgot some things. What? Look here, when I found the dress drawer in the bedroom. You see laundry. Any marks on it? Uh, just a minute, I'll see. Yeah, there's a mark on this shirt. 6788. And the same marks on these handkerchiefs. And here's a couple of towels with the words Casa Moreno embroidered on them. Well, there's nothing in the law that says tenants can't move out of a house and leave some, some handkerchiefs and towels behind them. Gee, uh, maybe they were ducking the rent. No, according to this receipt, the rent isn't due for another week or ten days. Well, it looks funny to me. I don't see anything for us to do but notify the landlady that the house is empty. Just leave that stuff in the door, Ben. Maybe they'll come back for it. Yes, sir. Priscilla. I yes. think you stumbled on something. Yeah, what? Now, listen, remember that, uh, that the car went over, the uh, black channel that had uh, been used in the Clovis Bank job? Yes. Now, that car was painted black in the garage out back. What? Yes, sir. There's a couple of half-empty cans of black paint out there. And also the curtains that were missing from that chamber. And oh, yeah, the gasoline can that was missing from that uh, set on the running board. Well, that's different. Get that laundry out of the drawer, Ben, and collect those receipts. It's only a matter of tracing the marks on this laundry king, and we'll have the identity of the bank robbers. But the matter does not prove as simple as the sheriff had sanguinely anticipated. For weeks, the police in San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles, Portland, and Seattle assist the Fresno authorities in searching for the laundry mark 6P788. Sheriff Jones assigned Deputy Sheriff King to full time on this colossal task. The services of Phil Giac, a detective specializing in bank jobs, is also enlisted. Together, King and Giac interview laundry after laundry. Finally, weeks after the holdup, they enter the Snow White laundry, a small establishment in Oakland. Yes, sir. Did you have some laundry here? No, we're from the Fresno County Sheriff's Office. Oh, yeah? We're uh, tracing a laundry mark. Do you have a mark like the one on this handkerchief? T-7-A-X. Uh, don't look familiar. Well, you've got a book or something that lists them, don't you? Yeah. I'll look in it if you want me to. <laughs> it ain't too much trouble. Huh? Just a minute. Hold your breath and keep your fingers crossed, Phil. Yeah, my fingers are all callous from keeping them crossed. It don't look like there's a laundry using that mark. This side of Bangor, Maine. Hey, what did you say that number was again? C seven eight eight. Oh, well, I doubt if it's ours. We never seem to have the numbers you officers want. <laughs> Guess we cater to a higher type of customer. Don't suppose that's why. Possibly, but would you mind going back? You turned two pages that time. Oh, here's our eyes. That's funny, and I turned right by the piece. <laughs> now, let me see. Well, what do you know? Will you find it? 
Yeah, here it is. Seven, eight, eight. What's the name of the customer that used that mark? Says Ryan here. What an echo. Doesn't get any. Address? The Watson Apartment, 724 15th Street. Come on, King, that's all we need. Are you the proprietor here? I'm uh, Mrs. Watson, the owner. We're office in Fresno County. We want some information about some tenant of yours named Brian. Why, they haven't been here since last September. What are their full names? Mr. and Mrs. C.J. Ryan. What do they look like? Well, Mr. Ryan was about 40 years old, sort of short and stout, and his head was bald in the front. Uh, Mrs. Ryan was about, oh, about 30. She was sort of pretty and wore stylish clothes. Their belief? Yes. Who finds it? Mr. Ryan. Have you got that lease there? Yes, I believe so. Well, may we see it? Well, yes, if, if I can find it, it should be in this drawer of the desk. Here it is. 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 This is John Post, the handwriting of T.T. Jones on the register of that garage in Fresno. I'd like to borrow this for a handwriting comparison, Mrs. Watson. Very well. Uh, do you know where these lines went after they left here? Why, yes. They said they were moving to the Casa Moreno. Where's that? Over on Market Street. That all ties in, Phil. We found some napkins from the uh, Casa Moreno in that house there, Babylon and Fresno. Yeah, we'd better go over there right away then. Why, yes. Mr. and Mrs. Ryan took an apartment here on September 24. They were with me until the day before Christmas last year. Well, what did they move to? Well, they didn't say, but they had their baggage taken away by the Federal Transfer Company. Yeah, I moved in plus for Mrs. Ryan. Where? Let me see. What was the uh, Hickok apartment from Vallejo Street in San Francisco? Yes, I'm Mrs. Hickok. Why, yes, the people you described registered here at Christmas time, but about two weeks later they skipped out owing me the money. So tediously from apartment house to apartment house, the officers follow their trolley, always just a jump behind them. Then, while taking an apartment house on Ulysses Street, they see a woman answering Mrs. Ryan's description leave the place. They follow her for days, hoping to lead them to Ryan. But finally, while chasing a Vallejo down stage of which she is riding, they have a flat tire and are forced to abandon the chase. But their fallen hopes are revived next day by the information that C. Ryan had purchased an automobile in Oakland. They run down this clue and next day report to the sheriff in Fresno. Well, boys, did you get anywhere? Did we? I'll say so. Where's your prisoner? Oh, we haven't got him yet. Do you know who he is? Fine. Who is he? Named Thomas Jeffrey. There are two hitches in San Quentin, ran larceny and burglary. Well, how'd you find that out? Well, as usual, criminals, he slipped. When he bought the used car from Miss Dealer in Oakland, he and Miss Dealer looked it over together. Dealer made a crack about just the thing for your wife. Our man said that she wasn't his wife. She was a nurse at the hospital in Vallejo, and that his name was Griffin. Well, how do you tie it up? That's why. There's a gang of bank robbers from the east hanging out in Vallejo, according to the boys up north. Now, we lost our dame, but she was on the Vallejo stage. We haven't been able to tie the name Regan or Ryan on the record we've got on file. We tried Griffin. And here it is. Look at that card. He fits every description we have on him. Good work, boys. Good work. One time a hunt played outright. 
But say, have you any idea where you'll find Thomas Griffin? No. But we're going back over the trail again. We're bound to catch up with him. Back over the tedious trail go the officers checking the confusing addresses. Checking known acquaintances and friends of the wanted couple. Quite is fruitless. Their discouragement great when a tip from Sheriff Jones for the Mr. and Mrs. C.J. Ryan on a small ranch in Solano and sends them scurrying to Battleville. They drive to the neighborhood of the Ryan Ranch outside the town and pulling up beside the road, they find their study. It's a shame as smart as you ought to be, so take it for both. All right. And if Griffin is there, we're liable to end up on a plank if we start nosing around. Of course, this lead might be a blind. After all, Ryan isn't an uncommon name. He comes to cut up the road. That's asking some phony questions. Hey, uh, Ken. Yeah? You live around here? Sure. Just up the road, please. Uh, we're looking for Mrs. Jameson. You know where she lives? No, sir. I never heard of her. Supposed to be around here someplace. I don't know no Mrs. Jameson. She lives in that house over there? Oh, no. Mrs. Ryan lives there. Mrs. Ryan, eh? Does she live alone? Uh-huh. She's got a husband, but he went away a couple of days ago. Can you imagine that? Missing again. But you don't know any Mrs. Jameson, huh? No, sir. <laughs> yes, he works directed right, then. Thanks, Ken. You're welcome. Let's go, partner. Now, wait a minute. We're not sure whether these are the Ryans we're looking for. And here's our chance. What do you mean? That thing just came out of that house. Hand me those binoculars from the back, will you? Yeah. Thanks. Darn these things. I never could get them focused right. There. There we are. Who is her? It's on Mrs. Ryan or Regan or Griffin or whatever. And hey, man, let's get out of here fast. We don't want her to spot us. For ten days, the two officers watched the Ryan ranch from the cover of a haystack, noting every movement of Mrs. Ryan through their high-powered binoculars. But no one visits the woman. Griffin never returns, and finally Mrs. Ryan packs up and leaves the ranch. The officers are close behind her when she drives back to Oakland. They watch her. She registers in a cheap hotel, and 15 minutes later, they have taken rooms across the street, commanding a view into hers. The next day, when she enters the downtown bank, they are close behind her. And when she leaves, they approach the bank official with whom she's been talking. We're uh, police officers. Yes, gentlemen. I wonder that woman wants you were just talking to. Well, she has a safe deposit box here. What for? We never require that information of our customers. Does she use the box? Yes. What's she putting it? Well, I don't know. We provide private booths for the depositors. You'd better open that box for us. Well, I, I can't do that. We're investigating a bad beat, a bank robber. How do you know this woman isn't looking this place over for the next job or gang pool? Still, I, I can't let you into the box. The law forbids it. Anyway, we have no keys excepting those in the possession of the depositor. Now, look here, young fellow. This is important. And you're obstructing... Wait a minute, King. He's right. He has no way to let us into the box, even if you were permitted to by law. You'll have to watch it. Watch it? What for? I just thought of something. Your terrorist gang is supposed to be hiding out up in Vallejo to use the gag back east. What gag? Sending messages through a safe deposit box. Safer than the mail, see? I get it. It's worth a try. So Deputy Sheriff King takes up his vigil, hidden in the vault of the bank, watching day after day for the return of Mrs. Ryan. Finally, three days later, he sees her into the vault to remove a paper from the face deposit box and replace it with another. After tearing up the first paper and throwing it in the waste basket, he goes out. 
Purple King retrieves the abandoned scraps of paper, rushes with them to his partner. Behind locked doors of the hotel room, they carefully piece the sheets together. Yes. What's losing here? And the square piece such enough to be up from the third line. Right. There we are. It says, Dear Dad, if you come in, you will find me at the hotel room. Ask for Mrs. T.J. Ryan. You are right, Phil. She's using the safe deposit box for a mailbox. She's on the other key to the box, and she's expecting him to come back. Yep. And it's only a matter of time until he walks into our hands. If you can hang out that long. Don't worry about me. I'll sit down in that vault for the next year if I have to. While King stakes out 16 hours a day in the vault, and he has his partner keeps tab on the outside activities of Mrs. Ryan, Sheriff Jones enlists the aid of his wife and the wife of under-sheriff George Overholt, who, using a few names, moves to the hotel in the next room to Mrs. Ryan, seeks to make her acquaintance, gain her confidence. May 28, 1924. Officers piece together the second note removed from the safe deposit vault. It reads, Go to your aunt's house and stay there until I see you. Very important. May 29th. In the morning, the following note is removed and torn to bits. Dear Daddy, I closed up the ranch and I'm here at the Hotel Wilson, 17th and Grove Street. And in the afternoon, the officers discover... Dear Daddy, have closed up the ranch. A man was there looking for you. Go to your aunt's house and get in touch with me. Very important. June 10th, 1924. Dear Daddy, phone me at the Hotel Wilson, room 411, under the name of Mrs. T.J. Ryan. May get another room, but will stay in the same hotel. Very important. Have sale for property, but can't sell unless you sign it in my name. Hurry and come to me. I need you. Day after day, week after week, the distraught Mrs. Ryan leaves her plenty messages in the safe deposit box for her absent husband, never knowing that she is constantly under surveillance of the law. At those two nice ladies next door, wives of the law. But across the street, the law sits the field glasses watching her when she's at home. But she's accompanied by the law when she goes out on the street. And within six feet of her, as she enters the bank vault, sits the law. But she is unwittingly serving as a decoy for her husband. Hiding in the bank vault, day after weary day, sits Deputy Sheriff King. May becomes June. June melts crossing into July, and July gives away to August. It seems futile, hopeless. Yet King will not give up. And on the 74th day of his vigil, a short man with a baldish head appears at the vault. Signing the name T.J. Ryan in the register, he goes to box 1407. King, recognizing him, takes a fleeting glance at the register and steps up behind him. Up your hands, Griffin. What? Hi. Uh, just make sure you haven't got a gap hidden somewhere. Hey, what's this all about? You're under arrest. For what? Hold up and robbery of the Clovis Bank last February. Stick out your arms. Hey, it's a bum piece, copper. I don't know anything about it. Tell that to the judge. Open up, Mrs. Ryan. Who is it? Officers of the law. Open up and we'll break the door down. All right. I'm coming. What is it? What are you... You're under arrest. What for? Suspicion of bank robbery. Suspicion of... Did they get Tom? 
Did they get him? Yes, ma'am, they did. Oh, Tom. Oh, poor daddy. Come along, ma'am. Griffin, stoutly proclaiming his innocence, is brought back to Fresno to face trial. The woman who had passed with his wife is released for lack of sufficient evidence to prosecute. Griffin is sentenced to Folsom Penitentiary for from five years to life. But a year and a half later, in the stone quarry at Folsom... How about you, boys? You all set? Sure. Now don't forget, Mike. When we get the truck wheeled outside the wall, I said Paul to go in with you. Don't give him an excuse your life, but get him back inside. Sure, I know. Hey, watch out. That gun board's looking our way. Well, don't act dumb. Start loading the truck tomorrow. Yeah, he's gone. Okay. Come on, Eddie. You and Red slide into the truck. Yeah. A nice job you did on this platform, Mike. Sure, I picked the court. You know, I'm getting out in a few more years. You guys have got life here. But the devil, you, you need a break. Okay, Mike. We're all tucked away in the meat. Start going the truck. All right. Here we go. Hey, guys. Jump truck going out. Okay, come along. Hurry it up. All right. Come up here, Mike. Oh. oh. What the devil's the matter with you? Oh, I got a pick. Maybe you better take me back to see the doctor. Oh, what are you doing, Stalin? Oh, on the level, I got a real bad pain. You know, I catch him like that often. We better see the doctor. Well, okay, come on. Oh, I said that. Okay, boys, they're back inside the wall. Come on. Is that nice and well acting? Oh, wait, boy, Candace had a. Come on, on the bank with you. Now, Mrs. Newman. I still say I'm better off this way. Say it and stir on the left. We don't go back here and shoot us down. And if we do, they'll put us in the hole. At least they get a bread and water in the hole. I'm just going back. So am I. <coughs> Yellow rat. Go on. Go on back. But I ain't going back. They'll never get me alive. But don't you see, Griffin? Yeah, sure, I see. Go on, Pat. I don't want guys with me that are yellow. Go on, Pat. I'm going on. I'm breaking through for you. I ain't never going back to no prison. Come on, Red. Let's scram <coughs> where still got time. He's searching. <coughs> yellow rat. I'm going on. I'm never going back to no jail. 
the sound Thomas Griffin the Owl, the three-time loser, dead to the side of the road the next morning. I leave it to the judgment of the listener whether the quick reward from a bank robber was worth the life he led, the price he paid, and the death he died. Griffin's uh, partner in the Clovis Bank holdup, Felix Sloper, was caught some time later when he tried to shoot his way out of the San Francisco bank robbery. Sloper sent a bullet through a police officer on that job, but in the end, society sent him striking through the gallows at San Quentin. Thank you, Sheriff of the Host. How can any red-blooded boy or girl listen to this program and not feel the urge to join the police in their war on crime? Rio Grande has organized the Junior Police Department, which now has hundreds of thousands of members. So boys and girls can learn detective work and police methods. Every member of the Junior Police Department is entitled to a free detective microscope, fingerprint outfit, mystery writing and code outfit, as well as guns, handcuffs, badges, and many other articles, all free. Your neighborhood dealer who sells Rio Grande cracked gasoline will help you get this complete junior police outfit in a hurry. Ask him. Millions of motorists all over America are now taking their cars to the nearest dealer selling Sinclair motor oil to Sinclairize for summer. The time has come to change oil and lubricants throughout your car. And every Rio Grande cracked gasoline dealer is now a trained specialist in Sinclair scientific lubrication. Because Sinclair is one of the world's largest manufacturers of lubricants, all Rio Grande dealers are equipped with authoritative, up-to-the-minute information on exactly how and what oils and lubricants to apply to every car made according to its mileage. You can Sinclairize for summer wherever Rio Grande crafts gasoline is sold. Fresno Sheriff's Office calling all cars. The cancellation broadcast 129 regarding a bank holdup in Clovis. The sectionist case now in custody. That's all. Frederick Lindsley, City is at night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.